Welcome to the Mets Rewind Podcast, available exclusively on Substack at metsrewind.substack.com. I'm your host, John Struble. Today's guest is former Mets closer Billy Wagner. He's standing by via phone, and he will join us next. This is the Mets Rewind Podcast, making baseball history every day. Billy Wagner is today's guest on the Mets Rewind Podcast. 16-year Major League Baseball career, seven-time All-Star 422 career saves, which is six most all time. 231 career ERA, played three plus seasons with the Mets from 2006 to 2009. And here's a little known fact about Billy only the third D3 college player to ever be inducted into the College Baseball Hall of Fame. How was your Christmas, Billy Wagner? It's been great. Family came in. I've gotten to see all the kids, so it's been great. Where are you living now? I live in Charlottesville, a little town outside of Charlottesville, Crozet. Before we hit some of your time with the Mets, I I wanted to know, do you watch much baseball in the summertime when when Major League Baseball is being played? I coach pretty much 24-7 right now, so uh, I I watch a lot of baseball. Um, My older son plays, uh, he's in double-A with uh, the Astros so I get to watch a lot of minor league ball too I watch some games uh you know I you know it's either you know it's really either the Mets uh, uh the Astros uh, and we'll catch some brave games and stuff like that hmm. you know it's just you pitch your last major league game Billy in 2010 and a lot has changed especially with the coming of technology does that part of the game interest you as a former pitcher? I think there is a benefit to to what the technology is doing to uh, to some extent. I think to some fault, we already knew these things when we were playing. Mm. We just didn't have those terms. We didn't have spin rate and launch angle. Mm. Uh, you know those, those things like that. You know we we. We, we knew what our gift was and where we could pitch and where our stuff was best located because we competed more. You just, threw, I mean, I never went out and said, I'm going to throw really hard. I, my concern was I really don't want to embarrass myself by getting, giving up runs. That's how I grew up. And so if you were backing up third base or you were giving up runs, the idea was you weren't throwing in the right place and, you know, spin rate tells you where you can throw the ball mm-hmm. it, it, you know if the spin's high enough you can throw it in top of the zone if not you got to throw a sinker down the way and down so today's game has gotten a little bit more uh wordy mm-hmm. i guess i don't want to say nerds incorporated but it's more wordy <laughs> because it's it, it's we knew the game a little better as far as what it took to be able to to do things i think technology would have helped guys you know, avoid the injuries in, in some ways yeah. to tweak their mechanics. I think that would have been a big help. I'd love to see what Sandy Koufax's numbers would have been. Oh. Um, I think I think those were tremendous. I, the technology, to some extent, has taken out the, the, the competitiveness. We can pat ourselves on the back if you hit a pop-up and it's 100 miles an hour and, and go, oh, man, you know, you hit 100 miles an hour, you're, that's okay. You know, a pop-up's an out. Right. If, if it's, you know, uh, if I hit a ball 87 off my knuckles and it flips over the infield, it's a base hit. It, who cares? That's right. You know, the point, the, the point, is, you know, so some things have, we, we've all known this. I think Dante Pachette's, uh 
says it best in his video on, I think it's Twitter, Facebook, or something like that, where he talks about launch angle being out front. I think the terminology has always been there. It's just now we put numbers and faces to these things. And now I think it's just created this attention and awareness to all these things. And so to some extent, I think it's helped in a, a lot of mechanical situations, but in a, in a lot of ways, I think it's forced some bad habits because people rely on things, spin rate and mm. launch angle and, and exit velo to be the end all say all. And so instead of going, Hey, if, if I get a base and I get on base, that's good. If I throw a pitch where I'm supposed to, and I get an out, that's, that's good. If I'm backing up bases and I'm continuing to make these mistakes, doesn't matter how hard I throw the ball, it's not where I need to be p- pitching. And so I think there's a, a, a good thing and a bad thing. Um, and it's so, but you know, I, I definitely see the benefits with mechanics and stuff like that to some extent, you know, I mean, I'm still old school and I'm kid. Uh, I definitely teach a lot more of the, the young bucks who, who are driveline and, uh, have the, the, the ultimate curse of the media access of YouTube and, and Facebook and Twitter to see, you know, see a lot of things that uh, people are doing, I think, you know, uh, so in a lot of ways, I think that, uh, you know, it's been good and bad. Yeah. How do you coach around that, Billy, where you've got maybe a young guy who is really kind of caught up in the data driven uh, technology of it all and spin rates and uh, exit velo and all that stuff to talk around that to get them to understand to to use your head too and be in the game, not just focused on those numbers. So it's a more balanced approach. Those are great tools to have, but you don't want to let them dominate your your game because you still have to know some of those skills like you mentioned earlier, backing up third base, doing the stuff that makes you a good, uh, well-rounded ball player. Well, I think that the biggest thing is to let them understand what the ultimate goal is. When you step on the mound, your goal, and, and as a hitter, you know, our team goal is to win. Uh, as a pitcher, every pitch is not meant to be a strikeout pitch. Mm-hmm. I'm going to throw it as hard as I can to the best spot I can mm-hmm. to locate, but with the understanding that, you know, I, if they hit it, I, I want them to hit it on the ground. There's an intention to what you're doing, not – not, hey, I'm going to throw it as hard as I can in this 17 by 17 and hope for the best because I'm only being graded on how hard I spin ball. So what I talk to them about is if you can get outs, I don't care how hard you throw. If you can't get outs, you're not doing your job. Mm. If you're hitting the ball and you're not you're not getting on base, you're not doing your job. So there's the, the understanding of what the job description is for for um, everyone to understand that your job is to, uh, uh, you know, you're, you're there to win the game first mm-hmm. and allow everything else to work out. And so uh, you just need to know that uh, when you step on the mound, that this is a goal. When we get in the, in, in the, uh, my kids, just slamming the door. Sorry about that. <laughs> That's okay. It's fine. Not much feel. Yeah. Uh, but uh, understand that 
the win is the, the, the game. You're the getting contact is a win. Um, you know, uh, putting the ball in play is a win. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's really, you know, taking that, the, the, that extra thinking because every kid in high school thinks they have to hit every ball for a, it has to be a hit. It has, and it, and some of them be a hit, but if it's not a, a laser in the gap, it's not good enough. Mm. Uh, because, you know, so many of these kids are pressurized to be in the settings of you're only as good as your exit V low right. and your launch angle and your spin rate. And so now the, you become so engulfed in, you know, I went three for four today, but man, you know, I hit a soft liner over second, you know, I hit an infield single, uh, you know, that now, now nothing's ever good enough. Yeah. Your, your value, you can't value yourself good enough. And so when I talk to these young high school kids today, you know, I always tell them the goal is to win. And if you focus on doing your job, the best that you can do and focus on winning, then that takes the pressure off of just you having to be this special kid every time you step out there, Yep. do your job. And then, you know, when we go to the bullpen or we're in the batting cages, then we'll work on these things to, to, to make you consistent. But, you know, this consistency everybody searches for in high school really doesn't come until you're way on down the road. Mm-hmm. You're not very, you're not going to be consistent. And then if you look at pro professional hitters, they're still hitting 300. Mm-hmm. And I mean, so understanding that the game is hard, you know, really educating the parents that the game is hard and understand and educating everybody that the game is still hard, but you know, we need to have some rationale that we, we need to take a step back and, and let the kids play and have fun. And when you play to win, you know, with the, the whole purpose being my team comes first. And if I want to do the best I can, and my selfishness is just that I want to win, not that I have to have these certain numbers, Good players have good numbers because their focus is all about the win, not, uh, you know, their self. And, mm-hmm. you know, and it's very difficult to have to battle, you know, everybody gets a trophy nowadays. That has become a, a huge issue, too, because, you know, everybody's pay to play idea. Hey, Johnny wants to play. Can we put him on a team or all? Oh, we'll just start our team. And so it, it's gotten really difficult because. The greatest thing about baseball is everybody can play. The problem is not everybody can play as competitive as the guy, the guy they think they can. Everybody wants to be Mike Trout or everybody wants to be uh, Lindor and, yep. and stuff like that. But it's awful hard to be these guys when you're 14, 15, 16 years old, mm-hmm. even though you're spending thousands and thousands of dollars to come in to get lessons and, and do all these things. So, you know, the, the thing is you have to you have to talk these guys off of the, the mantle. I mean, I've got a kid who got Tommy John uh, this year, and it was totally because his thought process and his family's thought process was I've got to pitch on multiple uh, high-level travel teams so that I can be a D1 player and get a scholarship and I can have self-value as being a Division one player. And, you know, and that so – you know, it's very difficult to battle that nowadays with the, some of the media that, that they're focused on. But, you know, I, you know, it's, it's always an uphill battle. You're always trying to say, hey, enjoy the game. The game's hard. Play to win. 
let's work every day to be co- as consistent as we can and understand that each each day is another step forward. Yeah. Who taught you the most about pitching in your life, Billy? Hmm. I mean, I'm sure oh. there's different influences at different seasons of your career, but as you kind of look back on the wholeness of it and think, you know, that's where I went from throwing a baseball to becoming a pitcher. Were there, were there well, a, kind of a handful or one or two people? <laughs> well, I, I was never blessed to be around a lot of people that were like me. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> um, you know, I, you know, I, I would have loved, I, I had people around me that were tremendous. I mean, with Glavin and Pedro, uh, Daryl Kyle, Shane Reynolds, Mike Hampton, uh, you know, Doug Drabeck, Xavier Hernandez, uh, Josh Beckett, uh, you know, uh, whew, gosh, I tell you, the pitching coach that Mel Stoudemire, uh, you know, Vern Rule, uh, Bert Hooten, uh, Dan Worthington, um, you know, there, uh, I mean, Rick Peterson, there were so many people that helped me, mm-hmm. but nobody was like me. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, I wanted to pitch like the finesse of a Glavin in the, the, uh, and, and be as dominating as a Pedro, mm-hmm. but you know, there, you, you don't have, you just didn't have that length. I mean, they all were special for that reason. And so, you know, um, I think it was, you know, I, I mean, we all had wanted to be more. I, I remember coming through the minor leagues and wanted to be uh, Greg Maddox. And, you know, I I couldn't pitch like Greg Maddox because my game was about power. Mm-hmm. My my domination was power, not finesse and being able to make a ball do things. My ball, it was different. So, I think what, you know, uh, helped me was just everybody had a a moment to help me to be the best me. Mm. And they would help me to, you know, quit trying to be everybody else and be the best me. And so, I mean, and it was the littlest of things. I mean, I know Sandy Koufax, uh, if he hears this, he'll, he'll, uh, he will laugh because, I was able to, I was blessed to spend some time with Sandy uh, when I was rehabbing back in uh, 09. And we had these discussions about me pitching on the wrong side of the rubber. And, you know, um, why would I do that? And, you know, who taught me to pitch? And I'm going, well, nobody taught me to pitch. They told me to get on the mound, throw it as hard as I can in that direction and get that guy out. That was how <laughs> I learned. <clears throat> and I mean, so, and I mean, until we laughed about it and everything, but, you know, I didn't have that, that mindset or that luxury of going, Hey, you know what, we're going to come here. Cause I was already behind the eight ball because everybody goes, well, you know, he's too short, so he can't do this. He can't do that. So what I could do was maximize what I could do. Right. And so that was, that was, you know, Brent Strom really helped me to make that jump and be me <clears throat> and quit worrying about being uh perfect uh, i even i think you know um my my first manager with the astros terry collins i mean i was trying to be something for terry my first year that i wasn't i couldn't be he wanted me to you know not throw any balls or walk guys but part of a, being a young power pitcher was to have 25 pitch innings and have a little bit of drama early 
and before and it took me a long time to become um and I guess when you you talk about me being as a pitcher I was able to be more consistent in throwing the fastball and all speed pitch where I wanted it when I wanted it but it was really you know what was allowed me to be to get on the map was that I could be effectively wild in, in a moment in in that moment where you just couldn't dig in yeah. you couldn't be comfortable nowadays nowadays you're you have to throw in a i mean pitchers have to be so much better than they had they they've ever had to be because they had there's no leeway there's no a little off the plate here there's no Braves uh strike zone you know you're not getting you know uh that that call i mean you have to you got top to bottom you have to cover and if pitchers are executing it's you know it's hard to hit these guys and but i mean it's very difficult and the game has gotten very condensed into a small box on how how you can be successful at times mm. wow that's so it's so true um we watch the game now and we were talking earlier about it it changed so much with the technology but the rules have changed a lot too you've seen this happen since your retirement some of the new rules there's no dh no shifts we got pitch clocks now and pace of plays a factor instant replay if you were commissioner billy what would your priorities be to improve the game i tell you i really like um the clock i didn't think i would like the clock until I went and watched minor league ball games, and all of a sudden, you're calling game. You're calling that. I mean, the games are are moving. Mm-hmm. You're getting more contact. You're getting more strikes thrown. There's not this this big thought process thought process when you're on the mound. You know what you got to do. Here we go. This is the call. Let's go to work. Uh, you know, um, I, you know. I like that. Uh, the thing that I don't like, I guess, the biggest thing is there's no shifts. Yeah, because I think to me, if you're going to get paid millions and millions of dollars, you better be a very good hitter. I'm really honestly, and I know as a pitcher, I, we have great stuff and we're going to have, but I'm going to tell you, if you are, you're forcing us to make bigger holes for you because you can't hit the ball the other way, or you can't do the whole goal is us to find your weakness and make you deal with it. Because when we make a mistake, you know, those guys, those great hitters, they, they make us pay for it. And so if we're able to execute, then you have to make the adjustment. Now you're asking all the pitchers to make the adjustments and, but you can't pitch outside of that 17 inch, uh, strike zone. (laughs) There you go. I mean, you're, you're asking for it, you know, and it's great because the common person who doesn't like to sit around and think baseball's boring. Well, they don't see how beautiful it is when you're staying on that mound on one leg and you're throwing a ball, and that ball, there, there's no leeway. Yeah. Uh, there's no, it, it's, it's, it's either a strike or a ball. There's, you know, you're, you're trying to get these guys out. So I, I think that's one, I think pace of play. I think I'm, I love what they've done with that. I love the clock. I think that is, that's, I think the, the pitchers are going to like this a lot more. I think Serger guys like that already know what they want to do anyway. Right. That They're going to love this. Yeah. They're going to love it. I think that's not going to, the guys are already coming up to go. I think the hitters like it. I think the hitters are going to, I think the hitters in the big leagues, the older here, they're going to have a hard time getting used to it because pitchers are going to be on the mound ready to go in 14 seconds. Let's mm. rock and roll, buddy. Mm-hmm. And where the, 
you go out there and make a pitch and you throw a really nasty pitch. He takes a really ugly swing. He's one of, he wants to take another 15 seconds to think about this. <laughs> he doesn't get that. And so I think that, you know, um, I really love that. The base is being bigger. I think that's smart. I think, uh, you know, the only thing I, I think shouldn't have been done away was the shift. And that's just because I'm a pitcher. And I think we probably should add more infielders during when I'm pitching. Yeah. That's the only thing I think we should have. If we'd have more infielders when I was pitching, then, then I'd, I, that's the only rule I would have pushed for. I, I agree <laughs> with you. The more when you talked about what the, what the shift does from a pitcher's perspective, I totally agree with that. You, you're looking for a way to exploit a hitter, find their weakness, and then take advantage of it so you could get them out. But now they're moving that shift. So it's like, hey, we should be allowed to put all four infielders over on one side if we know you can't hit a ball the other way and do that because we can exploit you. But on the other hand, as a pitcher, there's nothing that can be done for you to give you that same kind of leverage. No, I, I also think it's funny. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of little intricacies I think are funny. I think, you know, um, I think pine tar, I think pine tar for a hitter and uh, protective gear for a hitter is, is comical. Uh, I, I think, you know, if a pitcher uses spider tack and their stuff's uh, better, well, I mean, you still got to throw it in a 17 inch, uh, you know, box. A, a rectangle. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, you know, I, I think that's comical to me because i mean you can you can wear all this gear and take 15 minutes to go down the first baseline taking your gear off and but you know if if i've got if i've got tack on my hands now i'm 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 the bad guy mm. but i can you can wear you can have pine tar all the way up and down your bat <laughs> it's you funny bat yeah. on your bag glove well and i my kids my kids you know are are hitters I mean, they'll come out. I threw BP today to them, and they're like, "Oh man, you know, I need pine tar. I need." To, I'm like, "What? What are you talking about? You need pine tar? <laughs> the way batting gloves are now, they've got so much tech on it. If you lose a ball, if you lose your bat, you, you, I, I, I think it's, I think it's overkill. I think it's an offensive game, but of course, I'm a pitcher, and and, and I and I and I love it. I love it. I mean, you know, the days of watching. You know, guys go up there with uh, no batting gloves on and, hey, let's go to work. You know, the George Bretts, yeah. that era, I yeah. think those days are over. But I think there there, there should be some understanding that, you know, uh, yes, this does pine tar and spider tack and all that monkey glue or whatever they call it, <laughs> make, make it spin and do other things. It probably does. But I'm going to tell you one thing. The way as hard as these guys throw today, you've got Chapman and these guys throwing 100 to 305 miles an hour i would be okay with you having a little control a little bit more feel of that ball yeah yeah how could you fight i mean chicken de grom scare me oh yeah chicken de grom would scare me (laughs) oh at least he has control of it there are guys that throw that hard oh yeah remember ann keel of course you do in 06 he was just he wasn't even effectively well, wild. He was he was frightening wild. And you know, I, I played with Rick with the Braves mm-hmm. in 2010. Probably one of the best athletes I've ever played against. And he had the best mind I'd ever been around because he went from being a dominated pitcher mm. to going through what he went through, 
to being a tremendous outfielder mm. in hitter. So, you know, he saw from both sides, you know, but, uh, you know, the, I, the game is still awesome. I, I mean, the game no is still really great. As long as, as long as we understand that the game's not hard, the game is not easy. And the best part of it is the strategy of the game. You know, how do I shut down, you know, a, a base dealer? How do I, how do I shut down a, you know, a, a power hitting guy? How do I, you know, what's the straight? I'm going to walk this guy. I, you know, I'm going to do something. Those are the, the things that are still really great about this game. But, you know, we got, you know, we, we got to understand that baseball is not the speed up rule. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's, 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 it's let's relax and enjoy what we're doing and see, see the history we're watching. Mm. I agree. Okay. Let's talk some Mets uh, final segment with Billy Wagner here. Um, 2006, uh, the Mets uh, bring in, well, actually 2005, they bring in Willie Randolph. But uh, in 2008, he gets fired. And this is out on the West. Mets are playing out on the West Coast. Where, how did you mm-hmm. learn that news? It was the middle of the night here in New York. Um, how did that go down for you? What do you remember of that? Well, you know, we were out in Anaheim and... Um, you know, it's just, you know, it was kind of a shock. You know, I don't think any of us saw this coming. I mean, I didn't. I mean, I'm naive to it all. I've got my own issues to worry about. <laughs> but um, I don't think any of us uh, really uh, saw this coming. I mean, um, New York's a bear. I yeah. mean, it's a managerial bear. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, you're either great or awful. There's no in-between. And so, you know, for, for Willie, you know, just like many, many managers have went through uh, New York, it's just, you know, it's, you know, the Davy Johnsons, the Joe Tories, the, the, the people that have been there and done, you know, the Gil uh, Hot, all these managers, it's just, you, you know, you're either <laughs> getting it, you know, getting it done or not. And, you know, the problem is it's really not the manager as much as the players not getting it done. And okay. unfortunately, you know, and I, and I love Willie to death, but I, I, you know, we were, we just weren't getting it done. And, you know, it was as much as my fault as anybody else's. Was he different by that point after he had been there a few years and, and you went through 06 fell short. Uh, 07 was really rough at the end. Um, you know, September was just imploded. And then 08 got off to a rough start. I mean, the Mets were playing almost 500 when he got fired in 08. Yeah. Was there, was there some different things going on? Did it have a different vibe, different feel? Yeah. I mean, you know, in 08, we didn't really have the, any real starting pitching. Yeah. I mean, we were, we were really beat up. I mean, you know, Glavin was Glavin and stuff, but, but Pedro, wasn't, we didn't really have a, a, a Pedro. We didn't have, um, we didn't have anything in there to, 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 to throw out what we were really young. And yep. so it was very hard. It was just very difficult. And, you know, Oh seven took a lot out of us. I mean, Oh six was a, was a gut punch. Oh mm. seven was just coming in and knowing that, you know, we, we had unfinished business, but you know, we, we didn't have, you know, Pedro, Pedro wasn't Pedro. Uh, El Duque wasn't around. We just didn't have, uh, guys that could go out and do what needed to be done. Mm. And, uh, you know, our bullpen, we, we were, 
good when we were good and awful when we weren't. Mm. And so, uh, you know, I think it was just a combination uh, of those things. And, you know, uh, and, and that was just something I thought that led to, uh, you know, to what happened to Willie. And unfortunately that's just, you know, it's kind of like when, uh, I was in Philly and Larry Boa got fired. I mean, it was real. Larry was awesome, but I, you know, we, we weren't doing well Mm -hmm. and and we could not pull out of that hole. And, you know, no matter how hard we were trying, it was just a combination, but you know, as a manager, I mean, you're hired to be fired. True. I mean, it's just, I mean, you, you, if you're able to go out there and, and be successful in these high big markets like New York, yep. Then, then, you know, I mean, Joe Torrey being able to do what he did and, you know, guys like that, that's just, you know, that's very tough. That's, and, and Terry Collins and guys like that have been successful. These, that's just, it's tough, yeah, but, it uh, you know, um, yeah, I hated it. I hated it. I, I hate it when any manager that I was playing with, you know, got fired because, you know, that was partially my fault. I'm part of that team. And, you know, I didn't, you know, if I, if I get a, if I blow a save, you know, that's one of those things that, you know, has that, team effect but it also you know it's only it goes on the manager yep agreed uh oh six beltron where were you during that at bat when against adam wainwright were you in the bullpen or were you in the dugout yeah no i was in the bullpen uh if we tied up i'm going out um you know uh man that 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 was a tough at bat to, to you know, I mean, I think at the time, you know, when I was, we were playing, you know, I was like, how do you not swing at that curveball? How do you not foul it off? How do you not, but that had been a really good at bat. I mean, we had done, I mean, I mean, those last two innings were probably took, you know, three to five years off of everybody's life. It was just so, so much tension and, um, you know, and, and, you know, it was just, it was a tough, it was a tough, um, you know, performance and Wainwright just made that pitch I mean it was just is a you know it's tremendous I mean it was it was a, a great pitch and I mean it just locked Beltron up and yeah. you know it was it was tough it was you know uh, you know I, I think it you know I mean for us it was just you know at that point was like how do you not fail that off how do you how are you not I mean you just expect so much because Beltron had had such a great year mm-hmm and you're sitting there and just expecting you're like, Hey, all right, best hitters up there to hit. I mean, we got bases loaded. We're going to win. We're going to go to the world series. Yep. And you know, and when that didn't, it was just like that gut punch that you just, I mean, mm. it took, it took a lot out of that team. Cause we, we, we weren't a young team for the most part. I mean, we had some age, we weren't built for a five-year run. We were built for a two, three year run at best. And that's if a lot of things went well. And, you know, that right there, that gut punch was something that, you know, we just didn't bounce back from. Hmm. So that um, same game, Andy Chavez makes what New York calls it the catch. Um, yeah. And late in that game, were you in the bullpen for that one as well? Yeah, that was, I mean, gosh almighty. I mean, what, what a game-saving play. I mean, just, you know it just made that whole experience. I mean, to sit in this car right now and think about that moment, I still feel that anxiety and that 
hard to breathe, that that ru- that rush, that roar, the fat, the crowd, the the goosebumps that that when he made that play, you know, you just knew we were going to win it all. Oh, I mean, make the play, we're going to win. I mean, we're doing everything we can, and hey, you know, they're firing off their best shots, and we're we're making the plays. We're going to win this game. We're going to do this, and you know, that's the feel of after that play, and you know, and that was just, I mean. To see Indy come up there and make that play, I mean, uh, it, it was just, it was just, you know, so memorable. Did you see it, Billy, from where you were? Because that ball was hit to left field. The Met bullpen yep. at Shea was in right, and I don't know if the angle, if you were even watching the play, could you see the ball in flight? Were you watching that? Absolutely. Play? Yeah. Yeah, we were sitting up on the top of the bullpen so you could see over the fence and see and that ball it was perfect it was just i mean we almost fell off the dang top of the uh bullpen uh bench and it was just so awesome i mean you know it was gonna have to be a great play made and he did it i Mm. mean so i mean it was just tremendous amazing yeah it was one of those I mean, it just gives you goosebumps thinking about that play. It was just amazing. And the reaction to it and the way I'm sure Shea Stadium was just kind of shaken. Thought it was going to, I really thought it was going to come down. (laughs) So uh, just one last question on, on seven and eight. We talk about those two years where the Mets um, fell short, both years. Seven was worse than eight in terms of how it happened and the way it happened. The Mets were, Five and twelve in their last seventeen games, and, and blew a seven-game lead. Um, is that something, Billy? You remember? Could you feel it starting to weigh on the team? As there were two kind of chunks in there where you lost, I think four, five, six games in a row around a handful of wins. But could you starting to feel a sense, a change of? kind of was there still a relaxed feeling in the clubhouse or could you feel it starting that tension starting no, to build up? They, there's no way there was no way i think you know losing the you know i i think guys tried to downplay it i think we all tried to downplay it because you know you know we knew what was going on we knew that we had to put some wins together but we we couldn't do anything right mm. um we couldn't get leads couldn't hold leads uh, we weren't able to hit real well, uh, and if we did hit real well, we, you know, we we gave it up, and and it was just very difficult the whole way around. There was not one part that was really clicking mm. that, you know, gave us. Any, and so I mean, we were scrapping, you know, and and in New York, you know, you 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 go out there and you you if you act like you're panicked or something's going on, I mean, it, it would spread, and you know, the press press already was, you know, you know putting it out in the paper and stuff like that. So we, you know, we, you know, we were just trying to hold it together, but there was, you know, we had a lot, you know, there was guys beat up. Just, it wasn't the same as Oh six. We just couldn't, we were beat up and tired and it just, it just wasn't the same where we just didn't have the same, uh, uh, you know, I guess we didn't have the same firepower. We didn't have, go-to people at the end that we'd had in 06 and, and to do these things. I mean, 06, we just rolled so easy. I mean, you know, the excitement, but when you lost in 06, 07 became a must have to. And when you put must and have to in a sentence, it became very negative And we really struggled. Yep. 
Final question for you, Billy Wagner. You didn't get the votes required for induction to the Hall of Fame. According to the voting rules published by the Hall of Fame, quote, voting shall be based upon the player's record, playing ability, integrity, sportsmanship, character, and contributions to the team or the uh, or the team he played for. Did do you feel you had the player numbers to be elected into the Hall of Fame? Yes or no? Yes. Do you yes. feel you had the ability? Yes. Integrity? Yes. Sportsmanship? Yes. Character? Yes. Contribution? Yes. Okay. Um, What would you like to ask the committee about the process in the way this is done to determine who does and does not get into the Hall of Fame? Well, I understand it's a very difficult vote. I also understand it's a very biased vote. Hmm. It's not a numbers vote. I, I, I know that sounds awful, but it's not a it's not a numbers vote numbers i mean the numbers for me and i'll speak for me are not are not the issue i i don't i mean i believe it's you know more to it at times i think uh i don't know why because every media guy i've ever met said i was such a great quote uh so i i don't know if i wasn't personable or Mm. or what but i you know i was always in good character there at my locker and accountable. I may not have given everybody the answer or the soundbite they were looking for, but I was always accountable to what I did. If I did it well, I didn't do it well. If I stunk or if I was good, uh, you know, that, that was the way I was brought up. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, I, I don't know how that voting goes. I mean, a lot of my heroes aren't in the hall of fame as it is. So, um, you know, those are things that, uh, um, for me, don't slam the door. Uh, <laughs> no feel, but, um, <laughs> but, you know, I, you know, I tried to be, you know, the best player I could be. Um, you know, I, I mean, I was a good teammate. I was there good and bad. Uh, you know, there, there you know, I, you know, I didn't get along with everybody and, you know, that's, that's part of the game. I wasn't there to be best friends with everybody. We were there to win. So, um, you know, um, well, voting is not based on friendship at all. Okay. There's no, there's no no mention of that. (laughs) No, you're right about that. Well, that's, that's a good thing, but you know, the thing that I will say and the thing that, 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 you know, I, I, you know, there's nobody that's on that ballot that wouldn't love to be in the hall of fame. Sure. There's nobody. Right. And, and you know what? I, I I think about it. I'd love to be a part of it. I know that it's the it is the epitome of a, a baseball uh, player's uh, credentials and 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 stuff like that. But you know, when I hear Derek Jeter talk about who's the best fastball and he says my name, or when I hear Nolan Ryan say who's the best fastball you've ever seen, and and he says my name, I I value those guys because those guys saw me. Yeah. I love when I face guys like Barry Bonds and he, he knows that 
what I brought to the table. There was no hidden agenda. There was no tricks. This is what I brought every day. I, I value the guys that I played against and the guys that I played against, they, they, they understood what I was about. I love those guys. And I, and I love my opportunities to compete against the best in the world. Um, and that, you know, from that point on, I have nothing else I can really say or do, you know, I'm very honored. I'm very blessed to be in that situation and, and the situation I am, I'm in right now. Um, but you know, when I look, look at my, my small career, you know, I, I, my numbers are, are good enough and, uh, and in a lot of ways better than a lot of the numbers that are in the Hall of Fame right now. And if, if you know, that's not good enough, I, you know, I just thank God that I had that opportunity to play. Well, six best in, in you know, when you're talking about closers, if you're going to look at Hall of Fame in, in the numbers, the player's record, which is part of the voting process, you had 422 career saves, six most all-time. One, two, and three on that list are all in the Hall of Fame, and five of the top nine are in the Hall of Fame, and you're right in the middle of that. So um, just curious your thoughts on that. But at the end of the day, it sounds like you can lay your head on the pillow at night and feel good about it because the people you competed against have a lot of respect for you and what you did and how you played the game. Absolutely. Absolutely. Billy Wagner has been our guest on the Mets Rewind podcast. Billy, thank you so much for taking the time. I'm glad you had a great holiday season. Love to have you back on during the season. Talk a little bit more baseball with you. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Enjoyed every bit of this. The Mets Rewind podcast. Subscribe and listen on Substack at MetsRewind.substack.com.